Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse for the first in a series of special Golf Monthly Top 100 Course Rankings podcasts. My name is Mike Harris, I'm editor of Golf Monthly, and I've got two very special guests with me this week, uh, contributing editors Jeremy Elwood and Rob Smith. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mike. Hello, and I like being referred to as very special. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, together, the three of us oversee the Golf Monthly Top 100 course rankings. Uh, it is a, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, mm. uh, and it's fallen to us, uh, known as a great triumvirate by uh, nobody else but ourselves. Um, so let me tell you a bit about me as a golfer. Uh, I've been playing since the age of 16, so getting on for 30 years. Uh, I'm just about holding on to a, a seven handicap. I love playing golf courses very much like Jez and Rob. You know, there is, to me, no such thing as a bad golf course. Just some are, uh, are better than others. Um, I probably played, I don't keep a spreadsheet. I'm not a, one of those sort of chaps who keeps a spreadsheet or a list. The other two sat the other side of the desk are, are very much those sort of guys. So they'll be able to give you exact numbers. But for me personally, I think I've played around about 350 courses worldwide. Of our current top 100, I've played 83 and about 70 of our next 100. So uh, pretty reasonable numbers, um, but I know I'm absolutely nowhere near Rob. I can never remember whether he's in the 700s or 800s. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself and how many courses you've played. Well, I was slightly later into golf than you two chaps, but of course I'm slightly older, so I've had a chance to, to, to put some decent numbers behind me. Uh, I didn't start playing until I was about 21, 22 uh, but my count is now up to 875 in about 40 countries. Wow. Um, I'm delighted with that, but it includes the entire top 100 and the vast majority of our, our next 100 as well. Um, this has meant sort of keeping up to date with new developments as they come through or new entries, um, and it's always been a pleasure to do so. Wow, 875. Jezza, how does that compare? Not quite there, I'm afraid. 682 for me, um, but with a good schedule already lined up for the spring, we'll be 700 before we know it. Uh, I too came to golf late. I didn't start playing until I was 20. Golf was still a, a rich kid's sport back in my day, and you know, there weren't many golf courses you could actually get on, even if you could play. Um, and I was just fortunate to stumble into the golf industry 25 years ago, and um, and the privileged position now of being able to play some of the very best courses uh in the UK and abroad, I think I've played in 31 or two countries, so again, not quite up with Rob. Gosh, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many different countries I've played. Is the Isle of Wight? Can't, no, that's part not of... Not quite, no. nor Jersey. No, no. no. Nor, I've not played in Jersey, but I have played in the Isle of Wight. Oh, right. Um, yeah, it's interesting that sort of playing worldwide, you get that sort of appreciation for how, um, how vast the golfing world is. I always find it very um, difficult to get my head around the fact that some magazines do a world top 100. I know we reproduced recently uh, Golf Magazine, uh, published in the United States. They're part of the same overall company as us, and we reproduced their world top 100. And I think um, that was a really interesting to look at that. I don't know how on earth they managed to benchmark everything. How do you get in you know, it? It's tough enough, I think, we find doing our own top 100 of you know of gb and i and we certainly don't want to get to outside of 100 we don't put numbers on them because i think we feel it's it's really difficult to be accurate beyond that 100 isn't it well i think that uh, that, that something that really gives our, our ranking some value is the fact that we do visit the whole lot all of the contender courses in each two-year cycle so with our loyal team of readers who are uh, 22 24 people uh, who 
help us with that. We get round to the whole lot in each 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 two year period. Uh, another thing about playing abroad is. As lovely as it is to play in exotic countries and fabulous weather and so on, it makes you appreciate all the more what wonders we have over in the UK and Ireland because really you wouldn't, from a golfing perspective, need to go anywhere else. You'll never run out of fabulous courses to play over here. Mm. That, that, that's very true, isn't it, Jez? I mean, you've been to some fairly exotic... I can remember whether it was Bahamas or Bermuda you went to at the back end of last year. It was Bahamas back end of last year okay. and, and uh, thankfully by Barbados this Friday. So wow. good start to the year. But... um. For me, the World Top 100 is, vir- is virtually an undoable project because unless you've got a massive budget and you're jetting 12 people around the world in a private jet playing golf every day of the year you know, if in one country, I just don't see how you can do it. I, re- I really don't. So mm. I take them with a, you know, I know a lot of people take all rankings with a pinch of salt. I take any attempt to do a world ranking with a very large pinch of salt. But it is still, of course, really interesting yes. to look at those lists. And I think that's why, um, you know, the, the interest that they garner, the world top 100 or whether it's you know, English top 100, that there's something about lists of things you love that, that get you excited. If that's your, you know, golf's your passion and it's, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I know speak for all three of us, it's our passion. Um, that's what you, you really like looking at the list. Don't you? I think... Rob, what interests you when you look at a course rankings list? Well, golf is a very rule-based game, so it kind of appeals to people who are collectors, um, and you might be a bit derogatory and, and describe them as golfing anoraks. Uh, I'm certainly one of those. Um, it, it's nice to tick uh, courses off the list. It takes you to new places. That's that's the wonder of it. Um, you've read about somewhere, you've seen pictures, and it, it just drags you over to places that you wouldn't otherwise go to. I think that's a real joy, and, and for, for golfers to compare where they've played with with their friends um, it, it is, a, is a genuine activity that happens in every club every weekend. I think it's uh, it gets people talking, it gets people travelling. It's healthy for golf. It's it's healthy for the golf industry. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and Jez, that sort of thing of um, you know favourites that of courses everybody you know has should be able to I guess draw on a list of and it can it can change, can't it? Your sort of your top five, I guess. It can change, and, and I've been to places which I really haven't got first time uh, and come back thinking, why, why on earth is that ranked so highly? And then I've gone back, and it seems to take on a different dimension when you you actually play the course a second. And I think in a place like Travos, which I went down to with very high hopes and came back slightly disappointed, went back five years later and couldn't quite work out what I'd missed the first time. Um, and I know Burnham and Barrow is a personal favourite of mine. You know, some people don't get the reed holes, do they? Because they just don't feel they... If you've played Burnham and Barrow, it has a stretch yeah. of holes on the front nine uh, where there are reeds flanking the fairways uh, and kind of marshy ground. And some people just can't get their heads around that having a place on a Lynx course. But mm. for me, you know, add, that adds to the character of what is actually one of my favourite golf courses, certainly in England and in the UK and Ireland as well. I think that's a very valid point, um, and the examples you've given there uh, show it perfectly, because I have played Burn and Barrow many times over the years, and it has readily, uh, steadily grown on me. Uh, I, I, I love it now, whereas Travos I've only played once, and it was a very long time ago, and I, I owe it to Travos to get back down there to see it, because I, like you, wasn't taken the first time round. I know they've, they've done a fair bit on it since, and I know it, it's highly rated, but for me it didn't, didn't excite when I was there, and I'd love to get back down and see it, but I think there are courses that, where the subtleties and the, the atmosphere grow on you over time. And do you think it's interesting that concept of sort of going back 
trying a course again for the second time if you didn't really get it or equally if you absolutely loved it going back and you know wanting to go back and play it again and again do you think that top 100 lists um can keep people's focus a little too narrow but obviously there is a world away um from the 100 best courses whether that's in gb and i or in the world do you think they can be a little bit limiting top 100 lists I don't think they really are because what it does is open a debate and it takes you to these places. And when you're there, you don't own, only play those courses. You actually see what else is in the area too. So as I said earlier, I think it's a, it's a healthy thing. You'll, you'll start to play other courses. You'll get a better appreciation for why you like things. I mean, going back to when I played Travos, for example, I knew nothing about golf course architecture. I'm going back a long time. Um, so I wasn't best placed to give it a, a very a sort of objective view. It was just, oh, it's, it's the way it is. So uh, I think going back is a really important thing to do. And I think that the more you play, which is hopefully, again, why we have some validity in what we do here, the more you play, the more um, valid your view of what the, the world rankings and, and local rankings are. Hmm. I've... Um I, I and we get we get uh, criticism on the magazine that we focus on these trophy courses, if you like. But I think that's unfair criticism because the vast majority of our coverage is courses that people, you know, on uh, more limited budgets, or for whatever reason, they don't want to pay the prices that some of the top courses charge. The magazine is crammed full of courses like that. But our top one hundred is a a celebration of the very best, isn't it? And so, while we understand that price is a factor, we, it's not a factor in how we do the rankings, because it is a, a list of the very best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, Jez, you always draw that parallel between, you know, sort of a list of the the best cars. That, yeah. You know, your... Um, well, actually, I don't know. You might well be about to put an order in for a Ferrari, <laughs> but, um, Rob, I know that your uh, Ford Focus, you know, it's sort of, you know... Um, you would probably, you know, be interested in a, you know, a list of the very finest things that you're interested in, of be course. it sort of, you know, food or wine or yeah. cars. Doesn't mean you're going to have to. Um, it gives you something to aspire to, something to dream about, doesn't it? It gives you something to aspire to, most definitely, and you can always aim for the best that you, that you can. Uh, I, I just think that you, you you dream. I mean, golf, you go out, it's a romantic game. You, you want to be out there, and it's an atmospheric game. So to, to have that dream, to aim for places, you know, a lot of people say, if you could play one course that you've not yet played before you die, where would it be? And that's 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 asked every week, all the time. It's, it's what keeps people going. And, and yeah. where where would that course be, Rob? For you, um, I haven't got such a course. What? <laughs> I'd, it probably it would, okay. It would be Pine Valley for okay. me. Um, a chum of mine played there last September, loved it, um, and he extolled I, 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 I bet he didn't talk about it much. He emailed me from <laughs> over there as soon as he'd finished. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's yeah. And, and Jez, what about you? Where would you most uh, like to play? Well, for me, having had the great privilege of going there once, it would still have to be Augusta National. But okay. yeah. I fear time is running out, and with fewer contacts of the right um, standing, it's looking a little unlikely. But going back to your point about the cars and what have you, I was, you know, I when I first started playing golf, Loch Lomond was sort of being built around that time. Private, ultra private, very exclusive. I knew I had no chance of ever playing there which ultimately has transpired not to be the case but I didn't know that at the time and yet I wanted to find out everything about this beautiful course on the shores of Loch Lomond mm. even though as far as I was aware I was never going there you know if, if you drive a Ford Fiesta it doesn't stop you dreaming about a Maserati does it? No indeed. Well, it doesn't, and you can and that's, again Loch Lomond's a very lucky example because 
um, bef- way before I worked in golf, I wanted to play uh, the best courses, and I read about Loch Lomond and, 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 and yearned after going there. And there's no way. I had no connections. But by and I wrote to the club, and, and, and uh, is it Carl Anderson or Lyle Anderson who owned it? Um, there was no way they were going to let me in. As a, as a, as did you a, get a reply? I got a reply. Oh, did you? Um, yes, and it was polite, but it was a, a very firm no because they respected their members' um, um, rights and, and privileges and, and wanted to keep it that way. But anyway, because I was so keen... I I wrote to other people and eventually I met somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who was a member. So I got invited up. So you can, even our most exclusive, if you really, really work hard at yeah. it, you, you are lucky that you can probably get there. It's your terrier-like abilities there, Rob. <laughs> Uh, and did it did it live up to expectations? It did because I mean one of the things we look at I, I think is is the the anticipation you have of going to these top top venues. And I was I was so scared. I, I went up just for the weekend with my wife and we because uh, she was a golfer and um, we stayed the night before. And I remember hardly sleeping the night before because this was such a special thing to go to such a private place. And it completely lived up. Uh, the, the, my host was a, a very warm host. We had a lovely game. Um, I think I managed about 19 points. Um, he was a pro, so we played off pretty back tees. Um, but I still loved it. That's the point. I didn't play well because mm. I was scared, because I was nervous, but I absolutely loved it. Well, there you go. Fantastic. Uh, 19 points. That's, you'd be quite happy with that these days. Nowadays, that's my target, usually, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little bit harsh. That's it's interesting what you say about playing well, though. I don't know if that's one we're talking about this time or another time, but I, at Birkdale had been somewhere I always wanted to play, and I finally got up there, I don't know, five, six years ago. Really keen. The first is not the easiest golf hole on the planet, it has to be, has to be said. Um, and I started 797, which reminded me of my mobile phone number at the time. <laughs> um, but despite that, I still came away thinking this is one of my very favourite links courses in, in England and the UK and Ireland and would still be in my, certainly my top 10, possibly my top 5 still. How did yeah. you make a 7 at the first? I Hold topped it about place, 30 yards off the tee into a bank. Okay. Tried a miraculous recovery and just sort of gradually got worse from there. <laughs> the nine on the second was two lost balls. So okay. You know, effectively only a five with the third ball, but sadly you can't just ignore the lost ones. <laughs> I think it's interesting though because, you know, again a lot of people who are sort of out with that sort of rankings process, who, you know, who don't. You know, not privileged enough to do it as we do, you know, as part of our jobs. So I say, well, I played really badly there, so I didn't particularly enjoy the course. It is something you have to put to one side how well you're playing. Well, you do for a number of reasons. One is I never play well. And two is you have to view courses in in all weathers and all seasons. So um, an example I often think of is when I first played up at Glen Eagles a long time ago. It didn't stop raining. The, The mist was down. I could hardly grip the club by the end of the morning and afternoon rounds. And I loved every minute of it. It's just such a magical place that uh, the course completely won me over, regardless of the other things around it. Mm. I think uh, maybe we have to look at Port Marnock in Ireland for you, Mike, on the uh, uh, our little uh, visit there just after the Ryder Cup at the K Club. And uh, obviously a course that went up many places in your personal rankings after. See, see it's, I think but there is... Um, listeners, uh, uh, allow me uh, a moment of um, minor indulgence. <laughs> minor indulgence, as Jeremy says, this was picture it the the day after the Ryder Cup. I think Jeremy and I have been out there um, covering it for Golf Monthly. We we fair to say we partook of a few Guinness celebratory Guinnesses on Sunday evening. Had an early tea time 
on on, on Monday at Port Marnock. And uh, it's very rare that anybody ever takes money or beach Jez Elwood uh, at golf, takes money off him. I actually gave him a proper cuffing, readers, and it was <laughs> um, it was delightful. I was just putting birdies in left, right, and centre. Um, so wonderful though that experience was to take money off uh, Jeremy Elwood and to beat him comprehensively. Actually, Port, Port Marnock was a course that didn't, you know, I, I obviously really enjoyed that round, but it wasn't somewhere that went straight into my top 10 as a, you know, as a result. We played it on a lovely morning, mm. as I remember, um, and obviously played very well. It, it's not a course that went straight into my top 10 because I can see it's a great links course. There's some lovely holes there, some great views as well. But just because you play well doesn't mean I think you'll rank a course uh, any higher. No, absolutely not. And interesting you should say about Port Marnock there, because, again, it's one that, for me, didn't quite live mm. up to the, the, the hype that I'd read. Great goal. And I know they have done a lot of work there in the last two or three years. Um, and I would have to put, uh, unfortunately for some uh, listeners, I'd have to put Royal Doornock and King's Barnes in that same mould of courses that I'd got so sucked into all the hype and all the... the um, how fantastic they were and you know Tom Watson went up to Doorknock and Ben Crenshaw and all these people and for me lovely golf course but not quite in that top five top ten league that a lot of people seem to have it in and the same for Kings Barnes controversial controversial but you know as we say I don't know if we've said it yet this morning but objective subjective that there is a blend of both in any rankings process you can't have one or the other but going back to Doorknock the the hype sometimes can uh, create uh, uh, something that's greater than the, the, the sum of the parts because I first went to Doorknock in the early 80s when it was very inaccessible there's a couple of new road bridges have opened up since then that make it more uh, accessible from uh, Inverness um, I think the green fee was £10 around, um, and I got it on a magical summer, uh, summer's uh, bright sunny day and fell in love with the place straight away. It, it t- certainly lived up to the hype, but you have to bear in mind uh, some of the, the rankings, uh, the world rankings from the American magazines have it in the top ten in the world. Um, so I was expecting something great and, with my limited experience then, felt it was something great. Now, I've been back a number of times since, and I still love it. But, again, we are sport around this table. We play the most fabulous courses. So you get things slightly more into the perspective when you when you do play many, many great courses. Mm. I think it's interesting that, as you say, when you look at those world top 100 lists, courses like Dornock, like Ballybunion, obviously the old course, um, Muirfield as well, that th- they always do unbelievably well in world top 100s. And, Rob, as you said, we are very blessed in GB&I that we have got some of the very best golf courses in the world. Do, do you think in some of those world lists that Scottish and Irish courses almost punch above their weight, though? And, it, and if they do, why do you think that is? Well, I, I, I'm not sure they punch above their, their weight because they are fabulous. All the ones you mentioned are fabulous. I think they are highly regarded from outside of the UK and Ireland because of the coastline. I think that in England we have some spectacular links as well, but they are perhaps not in the most such attractive uh, coastline as as you get on, on the, the wild dunes of, of Ireland and, and, and up in Scotland. If you're down in Kent at Royal St George's, it's it's kind of a bleak coastline. It's a glorious golf course, but around it is a bit flat and chimney-ish, and, and it's the same as in the, in the northwest. Chimney-ish? Is that a word? Well, uh, it is, it is Are you thinking about the power station? I am. I yeah. they not, have, they not, have they been knocked down, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, but it has been. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the has, view I have it. Has been chimney-ish in, this, <laughs> in the past. In the past. <laughs> I would uh, like to see that going to the Oxford uh, at the uh, end of this year. I do know what you mean, that that, that sort of Kent coast can be 
a little bit bleak. I mean, I love Royal St George. I think it's a great, great golf course. I think the variety there is is fabulous. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I wonder whether you know our cousins from America get a little bit taken in by the sort of the sort of schmaltz and the uh, you know and the sort of welcome the you know the bagpipes, the kilts, the you know pints of Guinness from you know from Ireland and Scotland. Is that a Am I being a little bit um, harsh? I think you. I, I probably give you that for Ireland. I'm not so sure about Scotland. I think I've, I've always felt that when you play a top course in Ireland and you're handing over 200 euros, there's almost a glint in the eye of the bloke taking the money that says, "I can't really believe you're you're paying that to play on my little bit of grass here." Whereas in Scotland, they kind of think we're worth it, so you just yeah. pay that, Sonny, and that's that. Massive generalisation. Apologies to all our uh, Irish and Scottish read uh, readers, listeners, but I think. Um, Rob may be right, I think, and partly because in Ireland they were allowed to go into some of the most spectacular dunescapes much later than in England where, um, you know, nature conservation kicked in a lot sooner. So guys like Pat Ruddy uh, were able to, you know, travel around Ireland in a helicopter looking for these fantastic um, dune lands to build golf courses in. So we have, you know, places like Rossapena and uh, the European Club and we just don't really have those spectacular modern links in England. Obviously, there's, there's one in Scotland now with Trump, but generally our golf course building on the Lynx land took place and finished much earlier than in Ireland. That's a very interesting point, that, isn't it? I think that, um, you know, b- both robbers, you say that the beauty of the coastlines as well, that has to be a an influencing factor, doesn't it? And certainly in our rankings that... We do take that whole experience, you know, the, what are the views of the course, like what are the views out with the course, how inspiring is it? Because if, you know, if you are chopping it around a bit, um, we all have our off days on the links and it's nice if you've got a view of the Firth or, you know, an ocean or mountains. So I think they do, um, that does play a part as well. Do you think as well that the, the welcome can be a little bit reserved, should we say, at, at English courses? I think it's naturally slightly more reserved for for simple economic reasons. Um, The the great courses in England tend to be in more populated areas, therefore they have a healthier full-time playing membership, whereas the more remote courses in, in Scotland and particularly Ireland probably need every visiting tourist golfer that, that they can get um, to keep keep the, 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 the budgets balanced. Um, and it also will therefore keep the, the, the membership rates down for, for their local members. So I think that the, the English clubs, being generally members' clubs, concentrate on their members, and that's probably fair enough, uh, whereas the, the Scottish and Irish clubs tend to, to, to cater much more for visitors. Interesting point, an interesting mm. point. Uh, I think one of the things that we always sort of find whenever we publish uh, a new list is um, that some people, some readers struggle to get their heads around the fact that um, we say the list is not definitive. They mm. say, well, hold on a minute, you've ranked them 1 to 100, that's pretty definitive. But actually, would you not both agree that within any ranking of golf courses, there is a high degree of subjectivity? I think there has to be. I mean, it can't be, and no one pretends it could ever be a science where, you know, course course A has that, 10 points, course B only has that on that category, 9 points. You know, we do that to a degree with the way we allocate the marks, but it's never a, an absolute strict science, like, like mm. you know, scientific fact. If you want to, to go down that route, you know, something either is or it isn't. You can't have that with golf courses because it is a combination of objectivity and subjectivity and we have gone out of our way to make our objective processes 
as robust as possible whilst conceding that subjectivity is still in there and will always still be in there. And a very healthy thing that is too, because um, if we all love the same things, it would not be good at all. And it's great to debate these things and and lead one another on to to play and and visit different areas as well. And if you look at other uh, rankings of, um, say, TV programmes or or music, the things that, that top the charts are the best sellers. Does that necessarily make them the best TV programme? Not really. It's the most popular. So I think that the subjectivity element is to be celebrated and we, um, we're we quite happy with that. Not definitive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we, we, you know, we welcome opinion that sort of challenges whether it's the overall concept of rankings or, or whether it's individual positions within that. And certainly we'd never say, you know, we're right, you're wrong. It is, it's an opinion. I think we feel we base our opinion on a lot of research and the fact that, you know, so you guys have both played uh, all the top 100. Of course, mm. I know a number of our panellists have also played all of the current top 100 as well. So I, I think you said earlier, Rob, is you, the more courses you play, the more qualified you are to have an opinion. That doesn't mean that if you haven't played um, all the top 100 courses, your opinion doesn't matter. And, and that sort of, as you say, that debate, that argument can get quite heated. That That's no <laughs> bad thing. It doesn't, but as you say use the word opinion and of course that's what it is ultimately it's opinion it is a more qualified opinion but it's still at the end of the day an opinion and it's not necessarily more valid than anybody else's it just maybe has a little bit more weight behind it i think you're right i think we've had uh, debates on our golf monthly forum that have got a little heated and we did a nice live q a didn't we mm. last time and and when you you know people are entitled to their opinion obviously but when you ask them you know how many of you actually played in the top 100 and they say 10 or 15 mm. You do feel, and without wishing to be arrogant or smug, mm. you know, I've paid them all. I've probably got a little bit more overall um, ability to be able to then compare one with the other and, and rank them in a you know, provisional order, in my mind at least, than someone who's possibly only played the top 100 courses around his neck of the woods. Yeah, that's. I, I think I think context is always really important, isn't it? And you know, until you get and, and actually, until you play a lots of courses that are you know will never feature in a top one hundred list, uh, apart from maybe top one hundred in their own county, mm. then I think only by playing that volume of courses do you really realise when you set foot on a on a great one that wow, this is you know for lots of reasons, whether it's, you know, all the criteria we look at, the like quality of test and design, the condition of the golf course, the visitor experience, everything like that, you know, the degree of difficulty, you only realise that, how good some courses are when you play courses that, that are not so good. And obviously, Rob, as you say, you really enjoy playing courses of all descriptions okay. and, you know, never cease to be amazed that, you know, you'll be, take yourself off to um, Essex, which um, is not an acknowledged golfing hotspot, uh, and, and you'll be, you know, you'll course knowledge of, of sort of Essex and you know must be second to none um, well I, I don't know about that um, I, I love golf so much that I will as you said earlier um, find the best in any course that I go to um, and you have to bear in mind that our top 100 it, it does get subjective because uh, our own personal tastes come into play but they are all absolutely fantastic. It's not like we're trying to compare some good things and some bad things. We're trying to compare things that are already yeah. inherently good all the way through. They are all proper tests of golf. They're all going to challenge everybody. They will all offer great joy to anyone who loves the game. Absolutely. Mm. And I think one of the criticisms we sort of get is that, you know, we are, you know, we're very pampered journalists that we sort of turn up and 
you know, the, the captain and the president are there to sort of welcome us. They've rolled out the red carpet. The uh, bacon or sausage sandwich is, you know, waiting for you. Somebody's teeing the ball up on the first tee. Um, how do we respond? How do we respond to that, that we don't actually see courses um, as everyday golfers would do? And that's obviously who we're aiming the rankings for is for everyday golfers. We, we see it as a, you know, we want to inspire people to go out and play courses. What do we, what do we sort of say to that notion? It's an interesting one. I've, I've never had the red carpet personally, and I've never had anyone tee up my ball for me. Um, you know, we we do, uh, obviously we get to play the courses f- for no cost mm. because it's, it's a, a courtesy that's extended to us, and we're very grateful for that. But if anything, I would say sometimes, you know, once the course manager or whoever gets to know we're coming, there can even be a slight tendency for them to put all the pins in the most difficult positions and you actually then end up playing a course that's far tougher than it really should be I mean, I've experienced that a few times and and you do kind of think well actually I wanted I might have enjoyed it just a little bit more if you know I'd had a couple of pins where I could attack them and make birdie so it, it can go two ways and I think we, we're thinking about advertising as well mm. at some stage and we often get criticized you know you can just buy your way into a top 10 placing well you can go through the top ten in our list, and if any of them advertise, I haven't looked at it specifically yeah. just at this moment. If any of them are actual advertisers, I'd be uh, flabbergasted because you know those those classic old links that dominate our top twenty n- neither want to nor need to advertise. No, that's right, and I mean certainly, um, you know, I know that where other um, publications may have advertising in, um, we make a point of not having advertising from golf courses you know anybody who's in the top 100 we don't want them advertising in that issue because we want to remove you know as much doubt as you ever can do that any advertising might be tied to your inclusion or your place within it. i mean we're very lucky that our top 100 rankings have been supported by a number for a number of years by footjoy uh they're kindly supporting these podcasts as well so i want to sort of say thank you to to footjoy for their ongoing support but that top level sponsorship if you like of of our top 100 means that we don't have to rely on uh, advertising to to make it work we just want to produce and it's something the guys at footjoy acknowledge we just want to produce the best rankings we can so their support allows us to you know to do that to make it as transparent as possible um but rob is there a sort of thing that you know we are lucky that we get treated well wherever we go but however there's a lot of times we go incognito if you like not in actually in disguise well, you don't <laughs> have a you don't have a wig on for instance do you um, no not often I, that has been known i i think um that's a very valid point we you have to bear in mind that this is what we do we do um review golf courses we travel to golf courses all the time so we go there in the depths of winter we go there on rainy days we go when course maintenance is on because we have to in order to visit the number that we need to and because of our experience in in it we take that into account so it's we see things for what they they will be um, um, and we also we do listen occasionally to other other people as well you know it's not it's not a a dictate here we we look at uh, we have a a good large team of panelists we also look at the other rankings, see mm. what they're getting up to. Um, so we, we feel we have a very balanced view um, and we take the, the course and the criteria, which are very clearly um, publicised on, on the website. We, we have a, a, a robust set of uh, criteria that we really think work and it's well supported by the clubs and everyone who seems to be involved in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 
you know, we, we play courses well when we're sort of, we're off duty and nobody would, know, you know, um, you know, unless they were particular fans of, you know, of you, Rob Smith, from your social media or you, Jeremy Elwood, <laughs> that they wouldn't um, know it was anybody from Golf Monthly. Yet those, Absolutely. you know, when we go and have a game with our mates at a course, you know, might be part of a golf tour or, or, or whatever, yeah. that that experience counts towards the rankings, doesn't yeah. it? You know, Absolutely. we don't try and, um, you know, sort of operate in just a, you know, we're only come and review a course if we say we're coming to review a course for the purposes of the of no, the magazine no. i think it's you know it's important you get that as you say that warts and all perspective of playing year round you know where sometimes you know bunkers are out of play because they're doing maintenance work or um you know it might be in rubbish weather in the you know in the winter you you know you can't in gbni you can't pick to always play on a sunny day can you so you have and, to and that's where repeated visits help and the, the regularity of our visits too. going mm. to visit each of the contenders in every two-year cycle is is vital to us and, and we do that and um, and we get the view of more than one person each time as well so we, we we get a balance yeah absolutely so there you go that's uh, the end of our first um, podcast our special series of top 100 uh, podcasts that'll be going on throughout the course of this year we will announce our new list uh, of Golf Monthly's top 100 courses in GB&I uh, in December. So there's a lot of time, a lot of uh, debate to be had between now and then. Uh, next time, we'll tell you the story of how Golf Monthly rankings have evolved. They started just over 10 years ago and have to say the, uh, the first um, iteration of them perhaps wasn't the, the greatest success, but there were some good intentions there. We'll have a little look back at those. So uh, all that lead for me is to say thank you to, to Jez uh, and to Rob for joining me today. Thank you as well to say Footjoy for their ongoing support of our top 100 rankings uh, and you'll hear back from us uh, in the coming weeks.